Well, I'm going to start us on a brief study, a couple parts over the next couple of weeks, but we're going to talk about Christian living. So if you have your Bible, you open up with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, if you need a Bible, simply slip up your hands. Uh, guys, of course, are ready to put one in your hands so you can follow along. <clears throat> I'm going to read for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17, and I'll read uh, the first verse there, 14. If you'll read 15, I'll read 16. You read 17. We'll do it that way. But can I invite you to stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word? Again, Colossians 3, beginning at verse 14, and then you take 15 and so forth through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says this, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Verse 15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, what a passionate, powerful declaration your servant Paul gives us here of who you are and how your life living, being lived out through us, how that translates into what it looks like in the world in which we live. And this morning we are gathered simply to again, place ourselves before you, before the ministry of your word, and by the power and ministry of your Holy Spirit, uh, learn. Learn that which we may have already known but need to relearn. To learn that which perhaps was unknown to us. And above all that we learn to seek to apply what we learn as it relates to letting you live your life out through us. We ask that you would do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so we're going to call this series Christian Living 101. I remember my few couple of years in the school of ministry down in Southern California, the classes all had a number after them. And, you know, so it kind of has that college feel, but Christian Living 101. And we, we must kind of hit the tail of what we started with last week or ended with rather last week that the error of the, the Gnostic teaching was that Christianity could be improved upon in any way, either through legal rituals of do's and don'ts, touch not, taste not, 
or by the complete abandoning of all discipline in a physical life and doing whatever you wanted in a physical life, believing erroneously that only what takes place in the spiritual realm matters to the true and the living God, both extremes being wrong. The Apostle Paul challenged the Colossian believers about that error. And he reminded them, you know, if you died with Christ and if you were raised with Christ, why subject yourselves to rules and regulations, but rather seek those things which are above and set your mind on the things above rather than the things below. And so we ended our study last week with a, a summary truth that, that being saved, coming into a relationship with the true and the living God through faith in Jesus Christ is completely a work of the Holy Spirit. It, for by grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It's completely the work of God. And we added to that summary statement that since it is true that salvation is completely and solely a work of the Holy Spirit, that our sanctification also is completely and solely a work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that our lives are set apart to be sanctified unto Christ, that that is a work that the Holy Spirit does inwardly. It's not accomplished by outward things. In other words, we don't seek to clean ourselves up on the outside so that God accepts us on the inside. No, God, the Spirit of God comes in and begins to and does work in us from the moment we come to faith until the time we leave this earth and enter glory. And to think any other way would be erroneous. It would be like perhaps taking a shower and thinking that taking that shower and using soap on your body is going to change your DNA at all. It's not going to change one iota of something on the inside. It is the power and the work of the Spirit of God inwardly. Now, having said that and embraced the truth of that theological statement, we come now to the issue of the Spirit of God working in the life of the believer and empowering the believer to live obediently to the call of God upon that believer's life, allowing the, the God of the word to shape and mold the individual more likened unto the person of Christ. And that's what Paul wants to address now with them having set the, the tone and the message straight about what outward ritualistic things accomplish as it relates to the salvation and sanctification of the believer, 
or abandoning all physical disciplines as it relates to the salvation and sanctification of the believer. He now brings to the Colossian believer and by way of the Spirit of God to every believer from Calvary forward these truths about what it means to live for Christ. The put-offs and put-ons of walking with Jesus. What he deals with. And what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. So I bring your attention to verse 5 of chapter 3. Where Paul says, therefore. And what's he saying therefore for? He's pointing us back. He's pointing the reader back and the Colossian back. The Colossian believer back to that they died with Christ. And they were raised with Christ. The power of the Spirit of God working in them. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. The King James Version of the Bible uses mortify. And in in its grammatical sense, it is a once and for all act. The Greek word, nekroset, meaning to make dead in a very strong way that the language is is imperative. One commentator puts it this way, that that verb, meaning literally to make dead, suggests that we are not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes. We are to wipe them out completely, exterminate the old way of life. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, and he gives this list of of, uh, items, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And so here he lays these things out that are uh, acceptable in the world in which Paul was living and tragically enough acceptable in the mind of the Gnostic that said you could just do whatever you want in your body and still be accepted in your spirit. And you might say, as I did, such detail, right? Such detail in naming specific sin. One commentator brings out a very good point. He says, there is an importance in listing and naming these sins, as Paul does in this section, and here's why. He says, it is far easier to drift into a sin which one does not know by name that consciously to choose one whose very title should be repulsive to a Christian. And maybe that's what these words do to you. Maybe they repulse you. Fornication, Greek word pornia. It's where we get our English term pornographic. And in its you know, most basic sense, it means illicit sexual intercourse. Make dead Paul is saying to them. The Spirit of God is saying to the believer. Uncleanliness. 
The reference there is in a moral sense of lustful living or luxurious living. Now, you know, hold on to your hat because the Spirit of God gets real specific here. For a purpose, for the purpose of not generalizing, but naming. These things that the believer is to put to death. Passion, you see there in uh, verse 5. The King James Version of the Bible uses the phrase inordinate affection. Uh, The Greek word pathos, or a deprived passion. To, To have a passion for something that is ungodly in the physical sense. Evil desire, another rendering would be wicked cravings, to crave or have a desire for things that that are wicked and ungodly. And at the end there we see the the phrase and covetousness, pleonexia, meaning a greedy desire to have more. I need more. I want more. Paul adds, he says, all of which is idolatry. It's, it's the worship of, of another God other than the true and the living God. It's the worship of the God of self. That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, there, there's a handful of places in Scripture where this Holy Spirit gets real pointed about naming things that are sin and not to be existing in the life of the believer. And he says, in verse 6, he says, because of these things, that list of actions that is taking place in, in the world, in the life of the worldly, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, fortunately and wonderfully, we're told in 1 Corinthians 5.9 that the, the Christian is not appointed to wrath. In other words, the, the coming of the Lord, the return of Christ, is, is at the doorstep. And we are seeing signs in the day and age in which we live where it just seems like his coming is even nearer. And when he comes, he's first going to call the church up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. And we will go through this seven-year period known as the, the time of tribulation. And at the end of that seven year, Christ will come and reign on planet Earth for a thousand years. And the Bible teaches very clearly that the Christian is not appointed to the wrath of God that will be poured out during that seven-year period of the Great Tribulation. And yet there is a wrath of God that comes upon the sons of disobedience. And there are greater levels of condemnation. We read in Matthew 23, 14, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. 
So Paul is being very clear that there are those that pay no attention to the things that break the heart of God and are sin to him. The good news here is he reminds the Colossian whether the irregardless of when the Colossian believer came to faith and we would have to take a a stamp and stamp that same thing over to our lives this morning, irregardless of when we came to faith, he says, in which you yourselves once walked in them. In other words, those things may have existed in your life, but that is now to be in the past. Amen? And tragically enough, those sins that we just listed, that he placed in, in the divine word of God, fornication, pornea, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires and covetousness, and idolatry. Those sins may have occasionally been tragically the part of a believer's life. A believer's life may be marked by something of in that list of things. But what Paul is saying is that now as you have completely uh, become his, that those things are not to mark the way you walk in Christ. They must not be a Christian's walk or a Christian's way of living, though they may have marked a believer's past. And certainly would have marked an unbeliever's past. Because he says, but now. The difference being there's then and there's now. And who of us this morning, speaking openly and candidly, those of you who are watching online as well, who of us this morning would say, you know, the day I came to faith in Christ, from that point forward, I've just walked clean as a whistle before God. Didn't skip a step. Didn't trip and fall. White paper life. Sorry. I'll speak for myself. But now, But now, verse 7, verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. And he gives a list of six items. Anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Interestingly enough, the, the list there in verse 8 of these six things uh, primarily are things that are committed by what we say. I like what one commentator put. He said, uh, 
that the Christian's life revolves centrally around relationship. First, their relationship with God. In a family and a household, relationship with one another, parent and child. And then also our relationship out in the world or extended family. And so if you look at those things, though they may have an action that accompanies them, primarily they are things that take place by what we say and are, are things that are, they are an emotion or an, uh, something displayed by words. Being angry with someone, telling them in certain ways that you're at wrath with someone, uh, maliciously speaking about or with someone, blasphemy. That is certainly a, a word-oriented uh, thing to put off. And there's a filthy language out of your mouth. I'm appalled today that our own vernacular spins downward where there is, and appalled is a strong word, but I, I, don't, I can't think of any other word. I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm heartbroken. You, you put the word in there. Where there is a younger generation or a generation, maybe an older generation, who knows, that begins to insert words that have a meaning that are not a very far hop, skip, and a jump from, from foul language. And I could, you know, I could say a couple of words with you right now, and I, I, I won't desecrate this pulpit. But you know what I mean. And these words are spoken often. They have similar first letters. And people don't think they mean anything. But if you think about where they originated, they're words that come from the gutter. Filthy language out of your mouth. Paul is appealing. Beloved. Should not our speech be seasoned with grace that it would admonish the hearer? And talks about not lying to one another in verse 9. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, uh, one comment comes across, says, nevertheless, it is also possible to lie to one another without words. It is easy to distort the truth, an alteration in the tone of voice, or an eloquent look will do it. And there are silences which can be as false and misleading as any words. It all boils down to how we treat one another how we treat our fellow man, how we speak to one another. <clears throat> and we're talking about the put-offs and put-ons of a walk with Jesus in verse 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In other words, that same uh, image that, that God the Father had in mind for 
mankind. You were talking with someone earlier about this, uh, earlier in the week, about everyone is created in the image of God, right? Well, uh, then someone else brought out the fact and the truth that in the beginning of Genesis and the original creation, yes, but then as we read a little bit further on, Adam created uh, in his own image, his descendants. So what we have is that the inception of the fall of mankind, the image that God had for mankind, for you and I, was marred. It became tarnished by sin. And that image could not again come back into all of humanity and mankind until God created and God allowed in the heart of Abraham faith, one to believe in God, and then God began to uh, raise up a people who would be given a word and through the obedience to that word, the reflection of the one true God could be seen again in the world, but not that exact image. It was a shadow and a type. All through the Old Testament, what we have is shadows and types of the coming of the person of Christ because ultimately what God wanted for his most precious creation, meaning mankind, was for them, you and I, to reflect himself and be in relationship with himself. But that being marred, he worked all through thousands of years of, of human history with his people Israel to bring his word to the world, which was speaking of the, the time when his son would come and take upon himself the penalty for sin, the very thing that marred that image, Christ would take upon himself. And he would once and for all die and pay the penalty so that that image could be restored in mankind. Is that not beautiful? And so in Christ now, in Christ, Paul is saying, that you put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And there is, in verse 11, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so he speaks here to the fact that once having come to Christ, there is now no division of people groups. You can't take a specific body of people and divide against them based on their, their uh, origin. But Christ, Christ unites, does not divide. Christ makes one, does not make different parts. We are one body. I'll say a couple of things here uh, that I think are important. Uh, William Federer, in his three-part series called Understanding the Culture, reminds us that one of the things we see going on today 
in our own culture is an attempt to divide. Divide families, divide people groups, divide states, divide whole societies. And he reminds us that one of the actions of communist Russia when they were involved in developing the Soviet Union was that they had gobbled up many small nations around them, but down in the bottom there was this one. It's not Yugoslavia, but it, I, I'm going to have to research it and find out which one it is. I saw him. I didn't take a note. But there was this one country that didn't want to become a part of, of the Union. And so instead of uh, sending in the military and, and just you know, quadrating off the, the borders and saying you will or you'll die, what they did is they sent in people to begin to speak to the different ethnic groups in that country to show them their differences. Oh, and I'll give you a, a theoretical example. Don't quote me on the theoretical example. I'm, I'm just, this is a disclaimer. It's a theoretical example. They would come to one people group and they would say, oh, you know, your forehead is a lot higher. You're, you're not uh, this, you're that. And they would go to another people group, group and they would say, well, you see, your, your eyebrows are slanted a little bit more, so you're not this, you're that. And they went through the entire society, sending in like social spies, if you will, to, to cause these people groups to pay attention to their differences rather than the fact that they are united as one nation. And it wasn't long before those people started fighting against each other. And as the war amongst themselves began to rage, the Soviet Union was able to step in and say, hey, we'll, we'll calm this down and make peace amongst you. Just follow us. Now, someone once said, if your pastor is speaking, speaking social issues from the pulpit, he may have gone woke. Hear me today, I am not woke. I'm bringing to us a, a social a picture of a historical truth that relates to where we are socially today, you make the application. I'm not trying to, but I am trying to tell you what Paul says in his word, that in Christ, we are one. We are not to be dividing ourselves and, and talking about our differences and fighting over our differences. Oh, my Lord. No longer are those differences the subject of our attention. He becomes the subject of our attention and our unity in him. So put it off. Make dead those things that Paul talked about and Like an old garment, take off, put off 
anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language and, and lying by whatever means and put on the new man, which is the image of Christ in you. He's going to enlarge, of course, on the, the things that are to be put on as he gets into the following verses, and we'll, we'll tackle those next week. But I ask you this morning, in closing, that if God is placing his gentle finger on one of those places in your life that he wants you to to allow him to remove. And that you submit to it, you're obedient to it, you just say, that's me, Lord, take it. I, I, I put it to death. That hear his voice this morning, respond with a simple, yes, Lord, I will. Will you join me as we close in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, sobering word. And yet it was so necessary for the believers there in Colossae. There were lies being spun about the true faith. Just as there are and have always been adversaries that want to try and improve on the simplicity of Christ. Lord, this morning we, hearing your word and hearing his admonition, make ourselves available to that precious work of your spirit, that that original image and the image of Christ himself would be formed in us as we put to death the old man and put on the new. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, thank you for listening this morning. Thanks for uh, uh, being a part of what's going on. We want to share a kind of a fun closing song with you this morning. Uh, it talks about what we just talked about title of the song is As We Leave This Place. So what happens when you leave church? You just, you've, you've heard a powerful word of what is supposed to be happening in our life, right? And now let's just go out and talk gardening or something. I don't know. Or should we not ask the Lord as we go to be a reflection of his truth in our life? I would say yes to that. And we can sing about that this morning. And